but a sacrifice that is cheap is no sacrifice at all. LifeSpring Family Audio Bible, coming to you from Riverside, California. I'm your OG Godcaster, podcasting since 2004. My name is Steve Webb. This is the daily podcast where we read the entire Bible in a year. What's going on? Welcome. I'm glad to see you. Our reading today is Genesis 8 through 11, and after that, I'll have some comments, of course. Then we'll do our On This Day in Church History segment. Let's get started. Genesis chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of a hundred fifty days, the waters had abated, and in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of forty days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him any more. In the six hundred and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons, and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains... Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Genesis chapter 9 God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear and terror of you will be in every living creature on the earth, every bird of the sky, every creature that crawls on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. 
they are placed under your authority. Every living creature will be food for you. As I gave the green plants, I have given you everything. However, you must not eat meat with its lifeblood in it. I will require the life of every animal and every man for your life and for your blood. I will require the life of each man's brother for a man's life. Whoever sheds man's blood, his blood will be shed by man, for God made man in his image. But you, be fruitful and multiply, spread out over the earth and multiply on it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Understand that I am confirming my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, birds, livestock, and all wildlife of the earth that are with you, all the animals of the earth that came out of the ark. I confirm my covenant with you that never again will every creature be wiped out by the waters of a flood. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all future generations. I have placed my bow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I form clouds over the earth, and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures." Water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. The bow will be in the clouds, and I will look at it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures on earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have confirmed between me and every creature on earth. Noah's sons who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were Noah's sons, and from them the whole earth was populated. Noah, a man of the soil, was the first to plant a vineyard. He drank some of the wine, became drunk, and uncovered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a cloak and placed it over both their shoulders, and walking backward, they covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his drinking and learned what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Canaan will be cursed. He will be the lowest of slaves to his brothers. He also said, Praise the Lord, the God of Shem. Canaan will be his slave. God will extend Japheth. He will dwell in the tents of Shem. Canaan will be his slave. Now Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So Noah's life lasted 950 years, then he died. Genesis chapter 10 These are the family records of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They also had sons after the flood. Japheth's sons, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. Gomer's sons, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarma, and Javan's sons, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. The coastland peoples spread out into their lands. These are Japheth's sons by their clans in their nations. Each group had its own language. Ham's sons, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Cush's sons, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, 
and Sabtika, and Rehama's sons, Sheba and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod, who was the first powerful man on earth. He was a powerful hunter in the sight of the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a powerful hunter in the sight of the Lord. His kingdom started with Babylon, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ir, Kela, and Resen, between Nineveh and the great city Kela. Mizraim fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lahabim, Naphtahim, Pathrusim, Caslahim, the Philistines came from them, and Kaphtarim. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, then Heth, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemorites, and the Hamathites. Afterward, the Canaanite clans scattered. The Canaanite border went up from Sidon, going towards Gerar as far as Gaza, and going towards Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim as far as Lacia. These are Ham's sons by their clans, according to their languages, in their own lands and their nations. And Shem, Japheth's older brother, also had sons. Shem was the father of all the sons of Eber. Shem's sons were Elam, Asher, Arpachshad, Lud, and Aram. Aram's sons, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Arpachshad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. Eber had two sons. One was named Peleg, for during his days the earth was divided. His brother was named Joktan. And Joktan fathered Almodad, Shelaf, Hazer-Maveth, Jira, Hadoram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were Joktan's sons. Their settlements extended from Mesha to Sefer, the eastern hill country. These are Shem's sons by their clans, according to their languages, in their lands and their nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their family records in their nations. The nations on earth spread out from these after the flood. Genesis chapter 11 At first, the people of the whole world had only one language and used the same words. As they wandered about in the east, they came to a plain in Babylonia and settled there. They said to one another, Come on, let's make bricks and bake them hard. So they had bricks to build with and tar to hold them together. They said, Now let's build a city with a tower that reaches the sky, so that we can make a name for ourselves and not be scattered all over the earth. Then the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which they had built. And he said, Now then, these are all one people, and they speak one language. This is just the beginning of what they are going to do. Soon they will be able to do anything they want. Let us go down and mix up their language, so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. The city was called Babylon, because there the Lord mixed up the language of all the people, and from there He scattered them all over the earth. These are the descendants of Shem. Two years after the flood, when Shem was one hundred years old, he had a son, Arpachshad. After that, he lived another five hundred years and had other children. When Arpachshad was thirty-five years old, he had a son, Shelah. After that, he lived another four hundred three years and had other children. 
When Sheila was 30 years old, he had a son, Eber. After that, he lived another 403 years and had other children. When Eber was 34 years old, he had a son, Peleg. After that, he lived another 430 years and had other children. When Peleg was 30 years old, he had a son, Reu. After that, he lived another 209 years and had other children. When Reu was 32 years old, he had a son, Sirug. After that, he lived another 207 years and had other children. When Sirug was 30 years old, he had a son, Nahor. After that, he lived another 200 years and had other children. When Nahor was 29 years old, he had a son, Terah. After that, he lived another 119 years and had other children. After Terah was 70 years old, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. These are the descendants of Terah, who was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran was the father of Lot, and Haran died in his hometown of Ur in Babylonia while his father was still living. Abram married Sarai, and Nahor married Milcah, the daughter of Haran, who was also the father of Iscah. Sarai was not able to have children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, who was the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, Abram's wife, and with them he left the city of Ur in Babylonia to go to the land of Canaan. They went as far as Haran and settled there. Terah died there at the age of 205. Well, those four chapters covered a lot of ground, and uh, I actually have something to say about each chapter, so let's get started. Let's talk about Genesis 8. Noah, his family, and all the creatures were on the ark for about a year before the earth was ready for them to come out. When the time was right, God told Noah to go out of the ark and take his family and all the creatures with him so that they'd be able to repopulate the earth. And the very first thing Noah did was worship God through sacrifice. He knew that God had delivered him and that he owed everything to God. He owed a debt that he could never repay, and in this sacrifice he demonstrated his devotion and desire to please God. Now, Noah had brought just seven each of the clean animals and clean birds on the ark, and to sacrifice any of them was very costly, but a sacrifice that is cheap is no sacrifice at all. So God was pleased with the sacrifice, and he said to himself that he would never again curse the earth on account of man's sin, nor would he kill every living thing in this manner again. After the flood, the water canopy that had been above the earth was gone, and this caused a completely different ecosystem to emerge. Before the flood, temperatures were moderated year-round by this water canopy. After the flood, the earth experienced seasons. Verse 22 says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Notice also that, as I mentioned in my remarks on previous chapters, with the water canopy now gone, lifespans quickly decreased. In Genesis 9, God told Noah and his sons to multiply and fill the earth, as he had told Adam and Eve to do, and God told them that they were now allowed to eat animals. This could be that because the environment was so different that food from plants would not be as plentiful as it had been before the flood. Also, because they were now prey, God put the fear of man into the animals. It's in this chapter also that we read of the importance of blood. Blood represents life. 
When blood flows out of a living being, so does its life. And because man is made in God's image, when a person's blood is shed, there must be an accounting. So it's in this chapter that God allows capital punishment for murder. And then God made a covenant, a promise, to Noah and his family and to every living thing on the earth that he would never again bring a flood like this to the earth. Remember, after Noah's sacrifice, God said to himself, I'm not going to do this again. And now God makes this covenant with Noah, his family, and every other living being. And to mark this covenant, God made the rainbow. Note that during the pre-flood era with the water canopy, rainbows were probably never seen because the sun's light was diffused because of the cloud cover. And the rainbow would be a constant reminder whenever it's seen of this covenant. Then we have the Bible's first mention of drunkenness. Overindulgence in alcohol is always condemned in the Bible. Proverbs 20 verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Proverbs 23, 29-33 says, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. Now, the Bible does not condemn drinking alcohol. It just condemns overindulgence in alcohol. Some people are not able to push it away. After one drink, they just keep going. These people should never touch alcohol. Other people, consuming alcohol in moderation is not a problem. But if you're one that alcohol makes a fool out of, stay away from it. Well, in Noah's case, his drunkenness allowed him to be in a compromising situation. The language used, that of being uncovered, could be referring to sexual relations. So some scholars think that Noah may have been abused by one of his relatives. Or it might only be that when Ham saw his father, he mocked him, which would have been extremely disrespectful of Noah as a man of God. The language in verse 24 implies that it was more than mere mockery, however. It said, When Noah awoke from his drinking and learned what his youngest son had done to him. Well, this could be the reason for the severity of the curse. The question is, why did Noah curse Canaan, Ham's son, when it was Ham that saw his father's nakedness? Well, we don't know for sure, but perhaps because Canaan was involved in some way. Or maybe it was because to have a glimpse of Canaan's future would be an even stronger punishment for Ham, if Ham was alone in doing whatever harm was done. Let's move on to chapter 10. We don't have time on this podcast to detail the descendants of Noah and his sons, but this chapter very clearly explains how the nations of the world were populated from Noah and his family. Let me just give you a tease. One of Noah's sons was Japheth. Japheth's sons were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, and Meshach. Now, Japheth was the ancestor of the Indo-European people. These are those people who speak the languages of the greater part of Europe and Asia as far as northern India. Japheth's son, Gomer, was the father of the Germanic people who populated most of Western Europe, including the original Spanish, French, and Celts. Noah's sons Magog, Tubal, and Meshech inhabited Europe's far north. They became the Russian people. 
Madai was the father of the Medes in what is now known as Iraq and Iran, and some of his descendants populated India. And Noah's son Javan was the ancestor of the ancient Greeks. Now, linguists, those who study languages, confirm the connections between many of the languages that are now spoken by the descendants of each of these branches of Noah's sons. It's a fascinating study. Even languages that laymen see no connection in, linguists can pick out connections. It's amazing. All right, chapter 11. Remember in chapter 9, God told Noah and his sons to multiply and populate the earth. Well, here in chapter 11, we see that Noah's descendants, in rebellion to this command, settled in just one geographic area called Shinar, which is also known as Babylon. They said, Now let's build a city with a tower that reaches to the sky so that we can make a name for ourselves and not be scattered all over the earth. So they were in rebellion there. Now, did you notice the mortar they used when they built the tower? They used tar. Some translations say asphalt. Well, the construction of the tower was built to be waterproof, showing their distrust of God's promise to never flood the earth again. So the people were rebellious and distrustful of God. Now listen to this. The tower they built, the tower we know as the Tower of Babel, it was seen by and written about by the ancient Greek historian Herodotus in about 450 B.C., There's nothing left of it now, but from an aerial view, you can see where it was. And archaeologists know that the the bricks that were used in ancient Babylon were made out of stone coated in tar. Now, we read in chapter 11, verse 6, The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. You see, God knew the evil nature of mankind. Well, how evil can man be? How about this? Think of the atrocities just in recent history. The murder of millions by the Nazis, millions more by Stalin, and even more by Mao. Sources vary, but some say 6 to 11 million Jews were killed, 25 million Russians by Stalin, and Mao killed over 85 million Chinese. Do I dare mention the current worldwide so-called pandemic? What will history record about this time that we're living in now? I shudder to think. Do you think God was threatened by what he saw happening in ancient Babylon? Is that why he scattered them? Hardly. God scattered the people to put a control, a deceleration on the evil that he saw them capable of. Commentator David Guzik wrote, The whole account of what happened at Babel with its anti-God dictator Nimrod, its organized rebellion against God, and its direct distrust of God's promise shows man hasn't gotten any better since the flood. Time, progress, government, and organization have made man better off, but not better. Once the people were scattered, attention returns to one of Noah's descendants, Shem. Through Shem's line comes Abram, who God renamed Abraham. Genesis covers more than 2,000 years of history and nearly a third of Genesis is about Abram. And of course, Jesus is from Abram's line, or Abraham's line. We're going to be spending much of our time this year reading and learning much more about Abram slash Abraham. I'd love to hear your comments, and I'd love to share them on the show. Go to comment.lifespringmedia.com and leave your comment, or email me at steve at lifespringmedia.com. I want to hear from you, and the family wants to hear from you. 
Tomorrow we're going to read Joshua 11 through 15. Boost! This day in church history, September 20th, 1870. During the Franco-Prussian War, Italian troops occupied Rome on this day, ending the Vatican I Ecumenical Council. And on September 20th, 1900, Wiesert Hoft was born. He was a Dutch Reformed ecumenical leader who served as secretary of the World Alliance of YMCAs from 1924 to 1931, and later he became the founding general secretary of the World Council of Churches. He served from 1948 to 1966. No Boostagrams today, but some of you are faithfully streaming and boosting. Thank you for that. I appreciate every sat. You're awesome. And you're helping to ensure the continuation of the LifeSpring Family Audio Bible. You're receiving value from the show and returning some of that value to keep the lights on. It's all part of the value for value system, which makes it possible for the show to remain independent. That independence means no advertisers. Why is that important? Because advertising is censorship. Advertisers require safe content. And today, the uncompromising word of God is not safe. You want an example? How about this? The Bible says that from conception, a baby is life. Listen to this. Psalm 139, 13 through 16 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Well, a lot of advertisers get squeamish with that kind of talk, but we don't care, do we? If you want to help keep the show going, if you think it's important, Go to support.lifespringmedia.com and send whatever value you think is right. Support.lifespringmedia.com I'd sure like it if you'd go to reviews.lifespringmedia.com and leave a review. When you do that, it lets me know what you like about the show and maybe what you don't like so much about the show. That's okay. I can take it. Reviews.lifespringmedia.com Get on over there. I'll be publishing the newsletter tomorrow with the next week's reading schedule. If you haven't signed up to get it, now's the time. If you are signed up but haven't received it, be sure to check your spam folder. In addition to the list of the readings for the week, I share a bit of other content there that you don't get on the show. Where do you sign up? News.lifespringmedia.com We don't have any new prayer requests today, but if you'd go to prayer.lifespringmedia.com, you can get on the prayer list. I'll pray for you in my private prayer time, plus we'll share your prayer requests on the show. Prayer.lifespringmedia.com And comment on the show at comment.lifespringmedia.com Email me at steve at lifespringmedia.com Or you can even comment on the specific show notes page for the episode you're commenting on. Until tomorrow, when we read Joshua 11 through 15... May God bless you richly. I'm glad you were here today. My name is Steve Webb. Bye. Bye.